be afraid, be very afraid. That's the phrase and tagline from the 1986 horror flick, The Fly. Be afraid, be very afraid. The idea is that there's something or a seemingly innocent thing that is an ordinary thing, a sheep in wolf's clothing, if you might say, that will attack you or get you, that something is out to get you. Be afraid. Be very afraid. We ought to be people, right, to be looking for boogeymen around every corner. Be afraid. Humans are fearful. We are fearful. You are fearful. What do you fear? I don't know. Maybe it's flying. Maybe it's the dark. Maybe it's uh, crabs. Maybe it's snakes or heights. Maybe it's the fear of failure. The fear of intimacy or, or lack of intimacy being truly known. Maybe it's the failure, fear of Fear of the unknown or the future. Maybe it's the fear of not being in control. Of your rights being stripped away. Maybe it's the fear of this virus and this pandemic. Maybe it's the sum of all fears. Death. What do you fear? Our economy, our culture, our relationships are motivated and in, by fear and instill fear in us. Act now before it's too late. The fear of missing out on the deal. Invest now, buy now, respond now. Live to the fullest now, carpe diem. All of those ideas are based on fear. Fear that if you don't do something right now, you will miss out. We are constantly people seeking for remedies for our fear. So we seek in things to hope in. In our exhaustion of this isolation and quarantine, which I know you are, we are seeking hope. We are seeking hope in all the wrong places. We're seeking hope in in places to, to give us remedy for our fear. And so we increase this viral spreading of false and misplaced hope in our lives and the lives of people around us. We put out news articles and read news articles about possible cures and treatments and drugs. We put out news articles or propaganda about the virus and conspiracy, about perhaps the media, perhaps the power brokers that have created this virus or or people that want us to have this virus or people that want to take something away from us in this virus, our freedoms, people that want to enslave us. All of these ideas and concepts are people, are ways for us to seek hope in something but our move our fear to, from one thing to the other thing. Fear from isolation and from the virus to something else or to someone else. They don't remove fear. They still Fear. They move fear. They don't provide a remedy to fear at all, but they move that fear to a new object. Fear is misplaced adoration. That's actually a nice way of saying fear is idolatry. Fear gives power to something 
to where it doesn't belong. Fear releases the tyrant in ourselves. And that may seem, sounds kind of strange. Fear is about, about other, but no. Fear releases the tyrant in ourselves. Fear demands selfishness. Fear demands rights. Fear demands privileges for self. Fear outwardly blames and finds faults in others. Fear never accepts responsibility. Fear accuses. It points figures. Fear is the hiding place for cowards. Fear is false hope that always leaves us longing and more fearful. Fear disappoints and fear spirals us downward into our selfish depravity. Fear is the enemy's primary tool in our lives. Fear is all around us and fear is in us. We all fear. What do you fear? Why are you afraid? Why are we all fearful? Maybe that is too self-reflective for you at this moment. Maybe you're in denial, like, I don't fear. Maybe you're fearing fear. But we all fear. It's who we are. I'll get to that in a moment. Last week, we started our sermon series, The Real Last Words of Christ, the words that Jesus speaks after the resurrection. The second word of the resurrection that we're going to talk about today is, do not be afraid. Jesus speaks into our fear and says, do not be afraid. Matthew 28, 1 through 4. Jesus providing the remedy to our fear and he doesn't provide another boogeyman. Matthew 28, 1 through 4. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and for an angel the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The two Marys head to the tomb, and they are seeking, not Jesus, they are seeking his dead body. Remember last week we saw this Mary seeking the dead body of death, seeking this, this crucified Christ. And the, last, the first word last week for Jesus to Mary was, whom are you seeking? And he calls her name. Brings Mary out of fear and into life. Out of, out of death, which fear is, into new life. Here in this scene, we have battle-tested, fearless Roman soldiers. Men, as opposed to women. An angel appears. An earthquake shakes the ground. Blinding light, which is normal for angel appearance. And what do the, how do the soldiers respond? How do these fearless, these strong men, battle-tested soldiers, how do they respond? They respond in fear. And they become like dead men, petrified in fear, paralyzed in fear. I want you to notice, the earthquake doesn't roll away the stone to let Jesus out. Jesus doesn't need help to get out of the tomb. The, the earthquake and the angels roll away the stone 
so that Mary can see in, that she can see that Jesus is not there. The men respond in fear and are paralyzed in fear like dead men because that's what fear is, death. Matthew 28, 5 through 8, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. Here they are. The angels say, do not be afraid. And, and so when an angel says that because they know you ought to be afraid because their appearance is scary and fearful and they're trying to call... No, 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 not, not this time to be fearful. Because there are times when angels appear that you should be fearful. We can just think of uh, in the Exodus story, right? When the angel of death appears to Egypt, you ought to be scared because he's there to kill people. In this story, the angels say, no, no, different story here. Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek the dead Jesus. I know that you're seeking the wrong thing. And what do they say? He is not here, for he has risen. There's the gospel. And as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples. Go and tell his disciples, for he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. Do not fear. Do not fear. You see, Jesus' death on the cross brings us justification. It brings us forgiveness of sins. Right? Jesus forgives us our sins. He takes upon our sins. And he takes the penalty for our sins. And so we are forgiven. We never have to worry about the ramifications of our sins. But then he does more than that, right? He gives us his righteousness. So he makes it able that we are able to be with God. But the good news doesn't stop the, at the cross. The cross in itself is not just good. Because if the good news stopped at Jesus being crucified, we wouldn't be able to be with God. We would be forgiven, but we would be dead people. It's the resurrection that brings the good news. It's the resurrection that fulfills the good news that the cross promises. The resurrection is the power of God to defeat death, to defeat the curse, to defeat the evil one's plan, to turn for our suffering and sin and death into goodness. The resurrection snatches victory from the jaws of defeat. The most beautiful, I think, I think the most beautiful passage of scripture in Romans 8 describes this power of the good news, this power of the resurrection that doesn't just end in the cross. It's with the cross, the cross and the resurrection and the life of Jesus. But here it is, Romans 8, 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to reveal to us. So what Paul's saying is like, look, all the sufferings that you are enduring right now are nothing compared to the glory that we will inherit one day. Meaning, there's an acknowledgement that there is suffering. No need to fear that. No need to fear that because they are nothing in comparison to the hope and the glory someday. In Romans 8, 28, and we know this passage 
This probably brings you comfort at times. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purposes. You put that together with the last verse, right? It says, all the suffering, all the evil, all the harm that's being done to you, that will be made good. Just like the cross was made good for Christ. Just like the cross was made good for you. All of that will be made good for those that love God. And called according to his purposes. So God, who is sovereign over all things, all the time, uses suffering, hardships, even evil that we do and that others do for our good. All of it for our good. And goes on to say in verse 31 and 32, what then shall we say to these things? What shall we say to this news that suffering was happening? That evil is going to happen against us. That hardships are going to happen. But all of that is for our good. What should we say to these things? What should we say to the sufferings that are happening in our world? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Did you hear that right there? In in explaining this, in explaining that the suffering leads to good, that God uses all this terrible stuff, and that he will make a good. He says, look, no one can be against you. God is for you. And what's the example of that? What's the model of that? What is the precedent for all that? It's the cross. If God could take the cross, the most wicked and heinous evil ever to happen on this earth, and he makes that into the greatest good, can he not take whatever's going on in your life, whatever will go on in your life, and can he not make that a good as well? He will. He promises he will because he is for you, not against you. No evil can prevail over you. No suffering can prevail over you because you have your God who promises he will take all things and make it good. That's good news. We know this truth. God turns our sinful life into victory. God turns the evil in our world into our victory, our hope. If God is for us, nothing can be against us. Nothing can stop us. Our hope is not in a vaccine. Our hope is not that we won't get COVID-19. Not that we want to get it. Not that we want to be people that get it and accidentally pass it on. Not that we won't take a vaccine. Our hope is not in assigning blame. Our hope is not in accusing others. Our hope is not in a political victory. Our hope is not in the elevation of suffering here and now. That's not our hope. Our hope is not the cross alone. Our hope is the resurrection. Our hope is that Jesus is alive. And if he is alive we will be alive. If he is alive, we are alive. That is the promise. He will make all things for our good. Our resurrection, the cross, to be resurrected, 
to be with God forever and ever. Stop propagating false hope in this world. We are father's children. We do not hang on to false hope. We hang on to him who is the hope. Stop propagating false hope. Stop propagating false hope and go and tell the hope of the resurrection. Just as the angel tells the Marys. Go and tell. He is not here. He is risen. Go and tell. Look at the beginning of the Gospels. There was a response to the angels in fear. Right in Luke 2.10. And the angels said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Look at the, they say, fear not. Listen, I, we're not here to give you bad news. We're here to give you great news for all people. I know you should, normally you would be fearful of us. But right now, despite our appearance, do not be afraid. We bring you great news. And here at the tomb, the angel says the same thing. Fear not. I've got great news. Jesus is alive. Go and tell. In verse 8 in Matthew 28. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran and tell the disciples. Well, they did a couple things right. Right? They went and told. They did what they were told. They, they went and tell. But, and they had joy, which is this weird thing. But what did they do? They were fearful. The angel told them, do not be afraid. And they went with fear to go and tell. So they got it half right. Or maybe three quarters right. However you want to do that math. But they didn't get it all right. And as they are going along the way, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Now that's not a great way of translating that. This is actually what Jesus says. Rejoice! Which is not an uncommon greeting. It's not a super common greeting, but it's not just, hello, hey, nice to see you. This is a deep, like, this is so great to see you. Mary's, I am so excited to be here with you. This is great joy for me that I get to be here with you. Rejoice. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Which was the appropriate response. And notice Jesus accepts this worship. Most of the times early on, he does not accept the worship. He always deflects to the Father. But here right now, declaring himself in the text, to be God, to be one with God, accepts the worship. But God alone is the one the Jews could worship. Ironically, this, 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 wording, this greeting that Jesus gives Mary is the same greeting that Judas gives to Jesus, Jesus with a kiss. He says, rejoice, rejoice as is perhaps trying to soften the blow of his betrayal. A greeting that lacks sincerity. But here, the truth teller is sincere. It is so good to be with you. Rejoice. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Rejoice. Greetings. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. 
Just like the angels before at his birth, just like the angels before at this tomb, Jesus says, do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid, and gives them the exact same instructions as if they didn't hear it right the first time because they didn't. Do not be afraid, go and tell. Don't be fearful and go and tell. Do not be afraid, go and tell. You, fear is this idea, right? behind fear is this idea, right? We said to, to revere or to worship something. To, to also to be in terror, to be in dread. So why does Jesus tell us not to fear? Why does he tell the Marys not to fear? Why does God tell us not to fear him? Because it's the most often repeated command in scripture, do not be afraid. God, I think, tells us do not be afraid because our fear is misplaced. Now, if we t- go back to that original definition, fear is misplaced adoration which is idolatry. But shouldn't we fear Jesus? Doesn't scripture tell us to fear God and God alone? Shouldn't we fear the one who is sovereign over all things at all time, who is in control of everything? Adam and Eve responded in fear in the garden in their sin. Genesis 3.10, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. For before that, they were eager to be with God. They were not fearful of being in the presence of God. But after their sin, everything changed. Death came in. Fear crept in. And they were fearful of being with God. Fear is the response of sin. Why should we fear God? Well, Matthew 10, 28 makes it clear. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Right, like, uh, just on paper, right? Yeah, we should fear the God who is the one that can not just kill bodies, but can also kill the soul and put him in hell. Nothing else can do that. No one else can do that. That's the one we should fear. We should be fearful of that punishment. This might give you a clue as to why Jesus and the angels says, do not be afraid. Because they they bring great news. They don't bring news of, of condemnation. They don't bring news of destruction. They bring news of new construction, of new life. On the cross, Right, One of the thieves on the cross in Luke 23, 40 says, but the other rebuked him saying, do not, do not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. There it is again. Do you not fear God for you are being condemned? If you're being condemned, you ought to fear God. And we ought to fear God like Adam and Eve because we all stand under condemnation. Well, we all deserve it. We all deserve death because of our sin. When we fear others besides God, we assign power to them where it doesn't belong. Or we give priority to things when we are fearful that don't have priority. We, we fear for our life because we value our life over God. Or more harshly said, we value our life over the promises of God, what God tells us. We value our life over loving others, over the life to come. 
Jesus tells us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of the one we should be fearful of. Why? In Psalm 27, 1, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? We should not fear anything but God. Because, but God is for us, as Romans 8 says. So who can be against us? And this is what the Psalm 27.1 is saying. We might lose our life. We might lose our rights. Right? But God is for us. The Lord is our light. The Lord is our salvation. The Lord is our stronghold. Whom shall we fear? God is for us. Why should we fear God? He's the one we ought to fear. But he's telling us, do not be fearful. Do not be fearful of him. Because he's our salvation. He's our shield. He's our provider. And he's our protector. Sin creates fear in us. Fear is so deeply interwoven in us. It's sometimes even hard to recognize things that we actually are fearful of or statements that are actually statements of fear. But whatever we worship, whatever idol we have, that is what we fear. Proverbs 29, 25 says it this way, the fear of man lays a snare. Whatever trust in the Lord is safe. You see, fear sets a trap for us and we fall into it and dwindle down into more fear, into more fear and we create fear for others. But trust, but trust in God is our salvation. Trust in God than the one who provides and protects. Trust in God who is for us. Trust in God who says, do not be afraid of the one you should be fearful of. Fear traps us. Fear paralyzes us. Fear accuses. Fear projects fear onto others. I often hear this, I'm not fearful, but others are being fearful. Our social media posts, I don't know, we all are getting more on social media this day because this is how we interact, we're on right now to watch this. Social media posts are filled with fear. It's a cesspool of fear. Those that fear the economy will collapse. Those that say we should drop the isolation because our, our, we're fearful of the economy collapsing. Those that are fearful that the virus is deadly and, and we want to stay isolated forever until there's a vaccine. Those that are, are, are fearful and accusing politicians or the deep state or deep pockets or China or the media for creating this fear or creating this virus or propagating even more fear. We're fearful of the things that we think are propagating fear. Fear begets fear. This moment in our lives is exposing a lot of our fears. A lot of our misplaced fears. Hey, to be honest, I live in fear. I live in fear. And this virus, I, I am a diabetic, chronic asthmatic. I'm target for this virus. I do not want to get this virus. I do not want to die. I want to be around for my wife. I want to be around for my kids. I don't want to die yet. That is not a sound talking pastor, is it? I should be okay with death. I should be okay with laying down my life for others. But yet, I live in fear at times. 
Our misplaced fears reveal also what we hope, look for and hope in. And we look and hope in all the wrong places. And I know that sounds like a country song. I got hope in all the wrong places. I got fears in all the wrong things. I sing about as good as a country singer. We hope for a vaccine. We hope for certain medications that can treat it. We hope that the government can solve this problem. We hope that all of this is a hoax and it will go away. We hope that it, it, we have our own ability to protect ourselves, to control our situation. If I just wear the right mask, I'll be okay. If I just stay home and never see anyone, I'll be okay. Misplaced fear and misplaced hope. We have hope that we can just go out and walk around people and that Jesus will protect us from this virus. Can he? Yes. Will he? I have no idea. But it's not the hope that he promises. He doesn't promise that he'll protect you from the virus. In fact, if we go back to Romans 8, it actually says, listen, there's suffering, there's evil things that are going to happen to you, there is death that's going to happen to you, and here's the promise I make to you. I will take all those things and make them for good. I'm not going to keep them all from happening. I'm going to take all those things and transform them for your good. That's the hope that God promises. All these things that we are fearing, all these things, they, it, they never tell us, do not be afraid. They actually tell us to be more fearful. And they instill more fear in others. Yet here it is, Jesus, who says, do not be afraid. The one that we should fear says, do not be afraid. Assign fear, all those false hope, all the fear, all the conspiracy, all the articles that assign fear to something else actually increase our fear and anxiety. Fear paralyzes. Fear does not act. Fear accuses. Fear is chicken little crying out. Fear points fingers. Fear leaves us inert. Fear leaves us hiding. Fear leaves us where we're at. It never moves us forward. 1 John 4, 18-19. There is no fear in love. We can just rest on that for a moment. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. It banishes it. For fear has nothing to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love we love because he first loved us I just want you to understand what this we love because he first loved. love cast out fear as Christian American Christians we often hold on to our rights or we we default to the rights that have been given to us by our government. And so when those rights begin to be taken away or those privileges begins to take away, we get fearful, we get angry. Anger is just an expression of fear, by the way. So we get angry and we get fearful and we get resentful and we fight back. Don't take our rights. But here's the thing. Following Christ, 
Christ never asserted his rights. Christ always asserted love. If you're going to follow Christ, it does not mean asserting your rights. It does mean asserting your love. Meaning, are you willing to lay down your rights for the benefit of others? Love moves us to action. Fear paralyzes. Fear releases the tyrant in us. Fear demands and reveals our selfishness. Love moves us to put others first. Love moves us to selflessness. Am I being selfless? I am loving. Am I being selfish? I am fearful. Jesus reveals and demonstrates love to us by putting us first, by living for us, by dying for us, and by living again, being resurrected for us. Love demands, requires action. It moves us to act. It moves us to obey. It moves us to trust in the one we love, or better put, in the one who loves us. The one that loves us, Jesus, the resurrected one, tells us, do not be afraid. And here, he tells us to love. Why? Why does he tell us to love? This this goes back to why we should not be afraid. In John 3.16, he tells us this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. To punish the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Previously we stood condemned. And we should be fearful. We should be fearful if we stand condemned. Fearful of the one who can kill the body and kill the soul in hell. But we no longer need to be fearful. This is why Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. We no longer need to be fearful of the one who can destroy us. Because Jesus has secured our forgiveness. He's for us. He loves us. He secured our resurrection, new life. We don't live in fear. We live and act in love. A love that is founded on his love for us. A love that is modeled for us first and foremost. We don't fear because we are not condemned. But we are loved. And we are saved. And we are cherished. We don't fear because nothing can separate us from the love of Jesus. We don't fear a virus. We don't fear economic collapse. We don't fear our rights being stripped away because we are alive forever with him. That's the hope. More than that. More than that. Could there be more than that? More than that. He gives us of himself. He gives us the Holy Spirit to reside in us. To transform us day in and day out. It's not just the cross. It's not just the resurrection. It's this act that's in us. This love that's in us. That's moving us. In 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
He gives us the Holy Spirit, brings a new power of love, and begins to suppress sin and fear in our lives. And you and I know we live in this tug of war of the old self, the dead self, the crucified self, the fearing self, and those, the, the self that loves, the self that's resurrected, the self that lives with God forever. One, this one was victorious. That's already been sealed. But we live in this tug of war, and that's where the tension lives for us. Jesus says, do not be afraid. He has great news for us today. We no longer have to fear anything, even him. Gerald Van, a Roman Catholic theologian and philosopher, says this, to grow in wisdom and love is not to lose all fear of God. It is to change our fear of God. It is to pass from the servile fear of the slave, the fear of the punishment, to the loving reverence of the son, fearing to offend his father, and in the end, to the pure selfless fear of the lover, the fear of hurting what you love. The fear of condemnation from God turns to the love of God, not wanting to hurt God. The fear of actually hurting God, that thought and action is love. Not the fear of actually being punished by God, but the fear of actually hurting God. That's the transition from fear of God to love of God. The fear of God becomes love and trust of God. That love aligns our worship of God correctly. Fear misplaces, misdirects our worship in God. Or worst, reveals what we prioritize and worship above God, something else. Everything tells us, be afraid. Be very afraid. Be afraid of this and be afraid of that. You and I are fearing the wrong things. And then we have words that tell us, don't fear that, fear this. Jesus speaks into the cacophony of that fearful noise. Do not be afraid. He has good news of great joy. Do not be afraid, for I have saved you. Do not be afraid, because I have united you with me. Do not be afraid because Jesus has finished it. Do not be afraid because he is resurrected. You will be resurrected as well because he is alive. You are alive. Do not be afraid. Fear has no place in us anymore. There is no barrier between us and God. Do not be afraid. This is the second word of the risen Christ. Rejoice. Rejoice. Go and tell about this love. Go and tell people about Jesus' love for you and for them. Go and tell people that there is no reason to fear anymore. Do not be afraid. Go and tell. Do not be afraid. Go and show. Go and show the love of Christ. Amen. Let us pray.